Hello everybody and welcome to a recap of season 1 with the best snippets of all of the episodes in the middle of season 2 and to get into the new year. We've put our best in making this episode, giving some memorable content from each guest and linking them in a flow that makes sense to you. It's been a journey since the launch of God Talks. It was quite demanding in terms of time and effort, but it was worth it. I enjoyed every minute of it, from preparation, recording, editing, posting, the communication with the guests, and I'd like to give a shout out to my podcast manager as well, Diana, for helping out. So hopefully this episode will give you an overview of season one. It's been jam-packed uh, with lots of value and here are the best bits that are not to be missed. We started this podcast with as low as zero in terms of listeners and subscribers. And I'm really pleased to say that between January 2020 and July 2020, we had just over a thousand listeners. So thank you everyone for spreading the word, referring guests, leaving a rating or a comment. And thank you to all the guests for putting their trust and for being on God Talks. Everyone has been mentioned in this episode and creating this podcast wouldn't have been possible without all of you. I'm always happy to hear your opinion, see what you request, what can be improved and so on. So drop me a line anytime. Now let's get started, but just a quick one here. The order is by theme, including some transitions and following the order of the episodes. So here are the main topics, uh, business and experience design, entrepreneurship and philanthropy and tech for good. So let's start with the first topic, business and design with five episodes. Episode number five was with Luis Arnal, joining us all the way from Mexico. He's a global colleague at Accenture and we covered the role of designers and the potential of design in and out of consultancies, highlighting some stories in emerging markets and some commonalities as well when it comes to social realms and the role design can play. I think one of the key aspects for ensuring the, the success of this partnership between design and business is empathy, is trying to understand who that other group is, what they are looking for, what is their goal, how are they thinking, and knowing how to work with those teams to get the best of both, creating sort of healthy friction between those two teams. Because you don't want to homogenize, you don't want designers to start thinking as, as business people, right? Uh, and you don't want business people to, to start you know, thinking as designers because you don't want to achieve this homogenization of a diverse team into a single way of thinking. You yep. want to preserve those two ways of thinking because those two ways, you know, the very logical, the, the analytical, together with the, with the intuitive, the creative, that combination is, is fantastic. That, that combination makes magic, right? The next one is number 23 with Margus Klar from Estonia, a founding partner at Brand Manual, author, speaker, where we focus on the meaning of design with a big D, digital transformation and organizational culture, highlighting the meaning of good design. Design is about how it works, not how it 
looks if you design it's in that sense absurd is that i think there are so many quotes for this but i think brilliant design is completely invisible yeah it just works the way it's supposed to work and you don't even think about it and now we jump into a two-part episode number 24 and 25 with adam lawrence out of nuremberg he's a customer experience consultant a facilitator author where we talk about the language around design and culture, accessibility of certifications, the practice of design, and we scratch the surface when it comes to facilitation, which is awesome at the great source of inspiration. At the same time, I was always really bugged about the experiences that I got from organizations, whether it was governments or my employers sometimes or as a customer. And my friend Marcus and I, who's also my colleague now, we used to sort of riff about these things and complain about them. And we would say, it would be so easy if they would just do this. It would be so easy if they would just do that. So we were sort of... opening our mouths a lot about customer experience and a friend of ours who worked for a large organization said okay come and put your money where your mouth is yeah we need some workshops I'm going to ask you to talk to my colleagues and if they think you're any good we'll employ you for this and literally a couple of days before this first customer experience workshop Marcus said to me what are we going to do and I said well we rehearse because that's how I think as an actor I think with my body Number 26 is the next episode with Joe Pine, all the way from the US. He's the author of Mass Customization and the Experience Economy. He's also the co-founder of Strategic Horizons, a boutique customer experience consultancy. And we dive into practical examples and a special mention of the best retail format in the world out of Italy. So what does it turn a service into? And I shot back that mass customization automatically turns a service into an experience. And I went, wow, that sounds really good. Let me think about that. And if that's true, then experiences would be a distinct economic offering. And if that's true, then we'd have an economy based off of experiences. And that's where the experience economy really came about. And so just a gleam in my eye in, in late 93, early 94, but now 27 uh, years later, You can see it all around us that we have shifted into an experience economy. And the last episode in this topic is with Gianluca Brunioli out of Italy, where we talk about the design of the not so sexy, basically the back end of things, what is unseen but felt, what is hidden but sensed, and how it all comes together, where the word digital is just no longer relevant. Digital is not just a product for a company. Digital is the company. Digital is the organization, is the way a company works, is the way people are interacting with each other, how data are moving inside the organization. Digital is not only the application you download on a smartphone, but all the processes and all the customer experience that happens after you have downloaded the application. Digital is really changing the way a business is done. We then have a smooth transition with Anna Maria Tartaglia and Marie-Pierre Schickel talking about fashion, hovering over branding, accountability, sustainability, along with how Gen Z is thinking when it comes to the fashion industry. As I say to you before, it's what I hope that people will learn to do, because at the end, even if we can stop buying now, probably we need to continue to buy something because it's a sort of personal gratification, when we have a look of something is okay, even if I don't need it, 
I like it because in this moment of my life is like buying something that will be part of me as I am now, representing me at this moment. But we don't need to buy Mappy at the end, you know no. this. We don't There's one thing that I don't money. understand. It's this concept of revenge shopping. This episode leads us nicely into the next part with Drop Music Branding, an audio branding studio working closely with designers, where we understand the importance of audio branding, but also how they started their entrepreneurial journey and found their niche. Any person in this world should do what they love doing, you know? So when I finally got the opportunity to really work and feel free, I felt free, you know? It's like... We work almost the same time that we are in with our family. So if you work in something that you don't like, you're going to be the half, half of your life miserable. So really put the works on doing something that you love. That's my advice to anybody. Yeah, I would say that passion. Passion is key to be able to get up every day, go through the bad days, the good ones, and, and to try to be moving forward all the time you need to have passion for what you do you really need to enjoy it also you need to be very resilient to to any problems that will come up for me it was key always for the music and so if you keep going straight forward if you have any vision or passion like he said it's easier to build so over the things that you were building before so we are kind of in the middle of business and entrepreneurship, or actually we just started. And this is where the power of presentation, storytelling, and the voice come into play with episodes with John Tracy. Inner voice, gut feeling, um, it could be interpreted in many ways. Some just interpret the same thing when they see signs or the number 1111 or whatever. In my case, it's, uh, yes, I do listen to my own voice. I listened to my gut feeling because it never failed me. It never disappointed me. So there is a rationale behind everything when, when you want to do something, when you want to take a decision. But even when the decision is just makes sense, it's concrete, there's still that behind the scenes voice that kind of tells you what you actually need to do. And Peter Hopwood. You know, all those things when you meet somebody face to face, that doesn't happen here. So in terms of getting people's engagement, you have to remember, however you are in the real world, you have to kind of boost yourself up. The energy level has to be higher. It may seem strange at first when you're sharing that, but it makes a big difference. As stories confident voice and engagement play a massive role in business pitches and any kind of presentation offline, but obviously online as well. And this is what we're confronted with today. Entrepreneurship is a topic I'm personally interested in as well, and also involved in. And I had some awesome conversations with entrepreneurs, ecosystem builders and investors. So let's jump in straight into episode 27 with Vladimira Mesko-Biastenska, the founder and partner at Neem Exponential and the Future Farm. She's also a fellow podcaster who takes us to her journey and why she's doing what she's doing today. And she's currently based out of Pakistan. I think one of the big sort of advantages that we bring to the local founders is also that global experience. So we are helping them to also, when they do their 
competition analysis. We help them to actually look beyond the borders of Pakistan, which usually they did not, right? We help them to think around some of the ways how to approach, again, what, as we were talking, like what it means to go and test out there, what it means to have a customer-centric approach, design thinking. I mean, those are some methodologies, but we're breaking it into very small pieces but and steps. So that comes from that experience of living it, breathing it in different markets as well. Followed by episode three, one of the first or very first episodes with Pieter Law, who spotted an opportunity during the pandemic and embarked on an ambitious journey to build a global platform for health, security and reopen the economy that goes beyond traditional COVID passes. We're talking about one of the biggest technological challenges in the history of humankind, how to, how to switch on mobility. It's the first time that the, that the whole of hum, humankind stopped moving, <laughs> all of us at the same time. So how do we, how do we open it up again? So there are really big uh, companies and smart minds thinking about this, and there's a lot of technology out there. But the technology that is being developed by these big companies focus primarily on one area, which is mobility. And in episode four with Daniel Zaretsky, consultant based in Tajikistan and quite involved in the region, we talked about mindsets and the opportunities in emerging countries and ex-Soviet Union countries. There's been an explosion in car, car ownership and car, car driving since uh, the Soviet Union fell. And I can understand it, but You know, the world, it's moving away from that. So they have to look at ways of moving away from forcing everybody to need a car to get around and to do things. So parts of the developed world have adapted that they haven't yet. But uh, again, it takes time. You also have to understand that um, 30 years may seem like a long time since the Soviet Union finished. But the people who are, you know, are alive, who still got their education in the Soviet systems. But uh, the younger generation that is, is, is not cut off from the rest of the world can, you know, find out about these issues, share with other people, learn things. So I think on the younger generation, they'll hopefully be, and I see some of it already, more of a push on these issues. The episode with Darren Coker, episode number seven, all the way from the UK is refreshing as we see how the co-founders of Flair, currently building an anti-racist culture, had the courage and ambition to completely pivot their business in the middle of, of fundraising efforts and in the middle of the pandemic and are currently thriving with what they're doing. It's really hard to ask the right questions to understand problems when it comes to racism. And oftentimes it's difficult for a student or a staff member to speak honestly to, let's say, a head teacher about what they're experiencing. And it can be really helpful having a third party to actually ask those questions. And with Peter Kovacs, based in Hungary, who takes us through his journey of combining friendship and work, connecting ecosystems beyond physical borders with the Global Startup Awards. That, by the way, is not a competition. But of course, when we speak about startups, we are pretty much the same people everywhere. We are driven by the same things and we are inspired by the same global thought leaders and We have a very strong common understanding about each other's problems and challenges and everything. And I just found it ridiculous that I didn't know anything about what's going on in Slovakia, in Austria, in Romania, or any of these countries in the region. So uh, we were partially inspired actually by Eurovision contest when it came to the competition, because Eurovision contest, not 
too many people know about it that was actually originally created after the Second World War to reunite Europe culturally again. So through a competition, you bring people together. That was the philosophy that we really liked about it and we wanted to implement. And that's how we started actually the competition. And that's also the reason why it has never been a pitching contest for startups. We're heading to Denmark now with Cecil Hansen, episode number 20, who embarked on her entrepreneurial journey out of necessity and who shares some of her key takeaways with regards to the startup guide that she created when she first moved to Berlin when she needed help and support to start a business. And I said, if we can make these projects profitable, I'm going to quit university. And I think it was a good motivation for me as well, because I think at the end of the day, that was what I really wanted. But I said to myself that I couldn't do it if I didn't could make startup guide sustainable, because I think too many times you do projects that are good and they are fun, but in the long run, you're going to burn out because they're not making any money. So I didn't want to do that. And yeah, so it ended with that I uh, I had to drop out one year into the education and I haven't really looked back to ever since. And now we're in the techie world with Jan Viru out of Estonia, episode number 29. He takes us through some of his tech passions that revolves around space. He's also the co-founder of an automotive startup, which is called Big. And he shares his challenges of building a venture from scratch. One of the key problems in the beginning for us was that we were kind of road makers. There wasn't any path in front of us, which was scary in the same time, but it was also huge amount of opportunities. So nobody could tell you what to do and how to do it, but there was also endless ways how you could do it and nobody could, uh, would say, okay, that's a bad way. We also look at investors' perspectives and ecosystem builders with Alberto Emprin from Italy, episode number eight, who started investing and learned lessons that allowed him to create his own angel investment firm. You have the for-profit company on one side, and then you have the uh, impact companies. But impact companies uh, has a model basically uh, needs to be subsidized and tied to some subsidies from the government. And, and this is, I know, it, it's completely wrong. But lots of also business angels at the beginning are thinking about impact investment. And this is why they are not so keen into getting into impact investment. And then Kamal Hassan from Canada, who created a global investment firm with an interesting model that puts loyalty at the core. Hence their name, Loyal VC, investing in very early stage startups and diversifying their investments with a focus on startups that branch out from two places. The nice thing about our investment process is we invest in people based on how they perform, not how we think they're going to perform. And we react to businesses which are suddenly taking off because the market has changed by giving them more money. And they do well. So that's, that's why we get these uh, good returns. And now, episode number six with Emil Abirashid. We're back in Italy, who's a journalist who got his magazine acquired by a larger group. He advises VC firms and invests in startups himself, too. And he's a big advocate of a unified European tech force. 
consider that the startup business experience from the entrepreneurship point of view was very interesting for me because it gave me the possibility to experience directly what being an entrepreneur means. So because I write about entrepreneurs uh, all days, I can say uh, I had also my own experience in that. So I touched the matter with my own hands, but it's good. But my DNA is more something closer to be a journalist or to help the ecosystem than to be an entrepreneur. So we kind of spoke about money from an investor's perspective and then about finance, responsible finance and ESGs, the code of purpose and profit. And this is what we discuss with Blake Good in episode 12, who shares how corporations can and why they should focus on responsible finance. How the evolution of the market is taking place, and it can inform future action and make you more effective than, I guess, coming up with sort of one grand plan and saying, wait till this is finished, and then we'll set out and it'll be sort of high stakes, succeed or fail. I think it's we sort of have to reflect on the market, which is continuously evolving. And with Ravi Shidambaram, based out of Singapore, on why he built RIM, a cloud-based enterprise business sustainability management solution inspired by his years of experience in corporations. So I think it starts from the top. That's a cliche, but it's very, very true in the sustainable business world. So I think like anything, if you... have that type of ethos and you believe in taking care of your stakeholders, you believe in taking care of the environment and so on, then you will build a business that does that because it's a very high priority and a high value for your business. And the conversation with Simon Squibb in episode 15 was quite inspiring and revolved a little bit around luck. He was kicked out of home as a teenager. He created his own success and sold his company to a big four. And he's currently on a mission to help one billion people start their own business for free. Now, I'll just caveat that luck is broken into two parts under my research. The first is what I'm going to call random luck, um, which is actually only about 2% of your life is random luck. And that would be, for example, where you're born. You really have no control over that. There's nothing you can do to influence it. You are born where you are born. And then, of course, things like coronavirus that come along, these things are not something you can control. They are simply you know, things that happen, and then you have to react to them. Now, the other part of luck, the 98% of what actually happens to people, is completely, you have the ability to influence it. And in fact, if you influence it properly, you can also influence the 2%. So in other words, if you're born into a difficult situation in life, but you act within the parameters that I've discovered for luck and the 98%, you can actually turn that, that what's that's perceived as a negative, being born into poverty, for example, it is a negative in the eyes of most people, but actually how you can turn it into a positive. And this is a nice lead into episode 21 with Anthony Mistretta, a software developer who loves communicating his passion for code and tech. who created a course on Twitch to help people who lost their job learn a new coding. There were some uh, global writers that are now being software developers in IT consultancy companies. And uh, so we changed their lives. But the most important thing is that they changed my life too. Moving 
into the philanthropic side of things and businesses with social enterprises and tech for good, we have a few episodes here. So number 10 is with Safia Virgi and the awesome work they're doing at the Red Cross Innovation Labs in Kenya that launched during the pandemic too. We're more that generation of instant gratification, you know? We don't have a lot of patience for the end product or revenue or income come in every six months, for example. We're very much fast-paced, and that's sort of filtering down into the coast and into Lamu. And so what we hope to achieve with the lab is to take these traditional skills of the past, introduce equipment and machinery that's very much of this modern world and merge the two together so that we can shift or we can project Lamu into this future that's coming, which can be modern, beautiful, innovative designs that have a link to their past, that have a link to their culture and their traditions. Now, we're staying in Kenya with Nivi Sharma and the journey of BRIC that's in the education space in remote areas, where she's working in connecting Africa to the internet. I met him in the elevator and he, I don't remember what sparked the conversation, but I remember him saying, ah, and he pulled out of his bag a little tablet. And it was that seven inch Akash tablet that India was selling for quote unquote, I think $35. And they said, this is the education tablet that's going to revolutionize India. And he said, I've just come back from India and I've seen this tablet. And wouldn't it be great if someone were to put the Kenyan curriculum onto a tablet like this? So Kenyan students could also learn in the same way. And I thought, yeah, that sounds really easy. Then we moved to India in episode 21 with Parag Agarwal, who built Janajal, a social enterprise that brings clean water to the crowds, educating them on the importance of clean water to ensure a better living, i.e. better education, better integration, and so on. Joblessness today has become as big a problem as lack of safe water was. And uh, the world is right now reeling under the joblessness. So I think one of the reasons why the government of India also picked the Janajal Wow as one of the technologies of choice is not because she can only deliver water, but also because she can deliver jobs. Then back to Germany with Anna Alvarez, originally from Costa Rica. She's helping migrants integrate, bringing opportunities to the table and the lessons and challenges she had to face along the way, building Migration Hub initially. Why I would do it differently? Well, first and foremost, because of this lack of trust. As I said, I was really naive at the beginning. I would not change the strategies that we follow. I mean, yes, it was a hell of a word to do all these events, but I think we would not never achieve what we achieve without them. And also the recognition and people that knows us. But what I would do differently is to, for the sake of having funds, I mean, I don't want to go into details per se, but I think I would have taken my time to build a nonprofit, more seeing it as a project for long term. The Professor Seta Long, in episode 28, who survived the atrocities of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, who supported kids as a young man and created a model to support education for kids and support their families in rural areas. At the BAT Center, we welcome and accept many children from time to time. And then we start to understand, okay, to accept the children at the center is a very good chance to provide them food and proper education, but how they split up from their family. So to understand about the whole story from them, 
and with like for example one of the children took us to their family who not far from a similar city and we saw the family and then the which we in hope that we can integrate uh, or housing back the children to the family right so this was a wrap up of season one make sure you listen to the episodes you're interested in individually and check out season two where there are lots of links between some of the episodes in season two and season one thank you again for your support we're always open for feedback and drop a line if you want to make a comment or ask any questions thank you so much and happy new year'